All right. Well, turn in your Bibles, please, to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4. We're going to look at three verses today, verses 26 through 28. Ephesians 4, verses 26 through 28. It says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Pray, God, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thanks for giving it to us in your grace and in your mercy you've. You've given us this treasure of your word. Lord, we we believe that it is your word. And so we want to come trembling to it before you. God, you say that this is the one on whom I will look. He who is humble and contrite in spirit, who trembles at my word. We want to be those people today, God. We want you to look on us. We want you to... Be with us. We want you to change us. And so help us. God, help me as I speak. I pray that you would use my words to change hearts. I cannot do that, Lord. Only you can. You say that faith comes from hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Your spirit alone has the power to change. And so I pray that you would do that this morning. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, before we get into uh, this morning's verses, if you are um, joining us this morning for the first time, we are working through the book of Ephesians, verse by verse. And so, uh, as you can see, we are in chapter 4, verses 26 through 28. Uh, But before we we cover these verses, I want to remind us again of the necessity of the gospel for us to walk in obedience And we've said this over and over, and I'm going to continue to say it. There's two chapters plus about six verses left. And for those two chapters and six verses, you're going to continue to hear me say, we need the gospel. We need the gospel. Don't set off on a course or a path this morning or any other morning as we go through chapter 4, chapter 5, chapter 6, thinking, yes, I need to do that. I need to do a better job living that way. I need, to, I need to clean that up in my life and think you can do it. You cannot, apart from the gospel. That's the whole purpose of chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, is to point us to all that we have in Christ, all that God's given us in His Son, and then to send us off to live in response to that, empowered by the Spirit inside of us. I want to read to you a, a quote from Tully and Chavigian, his, his blog this last week. He, he had this in the midst of it. Uh, it says, The emphasis in much Christian teaching today is on what we are to do without adequate grounding in the good news of what God has done for us in Christ. What would Jesus do becomes more important than what has Jesus done. The gospel, however, is not just something we needed at conversion so we can spend the rest of our Christian life obsessed with performance. 
It is something we need every day. The only source of our sanctification as well as our justification. The law guides, but only the gospel gives. We are declared righteous, justified. Not by anything that happens within us or done by us, but solely by God's act of crediting us with Christ's perfect righteousness through faith alone. We need the gospel. We need the gospel to continue to transform us and change us. And so we rely on the truth of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 as we look at the calling, what we're called to live out in chapters 4, 5, and 6. We've been talking over these last couple of messages in Ephesians about this idea of putting off and putting on. We talked two weeks ago about putting off falsehood, putting on truth. And and what we're called to do is put off those things that are tied to the old self. Put off those things that are tied to our old nature. Put off those things that that were, were part of our lives before Christ made us alive or God made us alive in Christ. Put off those things. And remember, he says um, in verse 17, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Put off those things. Put off those things. And and by the power of the gospel, by the power of the Holy Spirit inside of us, put on those things that represent the new nature. What Christ has purchased and, and, and given to you, put on those things. Live in those things. And, and as we get into this this, this morning, uh, we were praying this this morning and, and also throughout this week, I've just been praying this for us um, because we can we can get into a section like this in chapter four where it tells us, don't tell lies, be truthful. Yeah, I, I need to do that. I need to do that. I need to be more truthful. And 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 today we're going to talk about anger. Don't be angry. Don't be the wrong kind of angry. And don't steal. You shouldn't steal. And then we can, we can put it in our mind and think, yes, I need to be better about that and never repent. And never turn from those things that Paul tells us you must no longer walk in those ways. I remember um, years ago, I may have shared this with anyone that was here maybe four or five years ago. But when we lived in, in Simi Valley, California, uh, you get a lot of ants there. Little tiny ants, just Wake up one morning and your sink is full of ants. I mean, full of ants, thousands of them. And they're crawling in. You got to always, you got to find out where's the source, where's this coming in. So you look, coming in this window right here, and you just, you just follow the line. It's very simple. You just follow the line, whether it goes across the ceiling or whatever. Here's the source. So here's the window. So I'm like, I've got to get to the office, but I got to take care of this first. And so uh, I, I go outside and I'm going to find out where they're coming in. I'm going to take care of the source of these ants coming in. And we had. You go out the front of our of our um, house and you go to the side and much like many houses in California, there's a there's a fence gate uh, that's wooden because you don't want anyone seeing in your life. Um, and so there's this wooden gate and you open it up and you kind of have this little pathway next to the house. And so I'm going I'm headed to this source. We're going to kill these ants, little tiny ants, and they're bothersome and they're a problem. And I open the gate and I start to walk and in mid step, I'm like, ah, and turn around, and literally, my response is, I go back in the house. Because there's a dead possum laying on the sidewalk in this narrow little path. And I'm in the house, and I'm like, what am I going to do? 
I don't mind the ants, but there's a dead possum on the way to the ants. So do I literally like just step over the possum? That's what I want to do. Or I want to just ignore it. Hey, babe, they're just ants. They don't like meat. They don't like those things. Don't worry about it. We won't worry about that. And I want to ignore because I have this little problem of ants, but I've got this big problem of this dead possum. And everything in my flesh was screaming, ignore the big problem. Just go to the source of the ants, take care of the ants, go to the office and work. We can't do that. Because the big problem begins to stink. I got a two-year-old, three-year-old little boy who runs around, might take a bite. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I don't want him involved in this big problem out there. Guys, that's just like us with sin. And we hear, we notice there's little things, easy things. Like, I'll confess to you, um, I have, you know, I struggle with pride. Don't we all struggle with pride? I struggle with pride. But there is a glaring, disgusting, evil thing that's in my path. And I'm stepping over it, stepping over it, stepping over it, stepping, never repenting, never repenting, never coming before God and saying, God, this is dishonoring to you. I will not go this way anymore by the power of the gospel. I'm not going that way anymore. I'm going after you. I'm going after you. And so my prayer for us, my prayer for us is that we be a repentant people. Don't just be people who nod. Don't just be people who acknowledge, yes, that's that's an issue. Repent. Repent and turn to God. Now we got to get going, okay? In verse 26, he says, Be angry and do not sin. Be angry and do not sin. Really quickly here, um, we shouldn't, as we, as we see that phrase, what I, what I want to say is two things here, but we don't want to interpret those separately. We don't want to interpret those separately where, where it's just, if Paul is saying, Be sure to be angry once in a while, and do not sin, okay? Don't separate that. And some people do. That's why I tell you that, okay? You may read things, and people will take them separately and say, um, what he's saying here is you're commanded to be angry, and you're commanded not to sin, okay? So he's not, not saying that completely, but it's also not saying that all anger is forbidden. Now, a lot of you just, ah, oh, good, right? Okay, not all anger is forbidden, okay. Let's go forward in this, all right? Not all anger is forbidden. And he's not saying that all anger is forbidden here. But let's see what he is saying, okay? Two things. Number one, anger is not always sin, okay? Be angry and do not sin. Anger is not always sin. God is a holy God. He cannot sin. Does he get angry? Yes. I think of the cross where God's wrath was poured out against sin. He gets angry and it's a righteous, good, perfect, sinless anger. It's an anger at unrighteousness. at sin. Jesus came and dwelt on earth and lived a perfect life. He never sinned. Did he get angry? He got angry. 
There were times we talked a couple weeks ago about in Mark chapter 3 with the Pharisees where he was going to heal this guy with a withered hand and he looked around and what does it say? He looked at them with anger, grieving because of their hardness of heart. He was angry, but he didn't sin. Here's, here's maybe if, if you struggle with anger, um, you've memorized this passage uh, with the money changers. You remember Jesus with the money changers where he goes in and he, he literally clears out this area of the temple as, as they've set up these tables and they're selling. And he says, and it was, he, he says to them, my father's house will be a house of prayer. You've made it a den of robbers. And he says after that, his, his disciples recognized and remembered the passage where it said, zeal for my father's house will I have. Jesus had zeal for his father's house. He had zeal for his father. He had zeal for righteousness. And and he got angry. So it's possible to be angry and not sin. It's possible that there is anger that is not sinful anger. I think at times we too ought to be angry at certain things. Our own sin. We, we, we spend so much of our anger on other people. And I think there's times we ought to be angry at our own sin. But here's the second thing. Anger is not always sin, but here's the second thing. Anger can and most of the time does lead to sin and most of the time is sin. This is important because if you struggle with, with anger, you may be one of those people who struggle with anger who has memorized this verse that we're studying today. And in your anger at times, in your anger, you have said, well, the Bible says be angry and do not sin. I've heard that. I've heard that said in anger. Well, the Bible says be angry and do not sin. Listen, this is my response to that, okay? If that is you, here's what I encourage you to do. Look behind you and see the wake of hurt that is left behind your anger and evaluate what kind of anger you are having, sinful anger or righteous anger. It's easy to cling to a verse like this. We have to evaluate what kind of anger are we dealing with in our hearts. Jesus was... Angry, angry. He was able to be angry and not sin. But I'm not Jesus. You're not Jesus. And we have to be careful. We have to be honest. That's what Paul's saying here. If your anger is a righteous indignation towards sin, okay. He doesn't end there. We'll get to the next part. But you have to be careful. We're not Jesus and, and our anger can and will turn sinful quickly, even if it begins as righteous anger. It can change. It can switch. If we're honest, if we're honest, almost all of our anger is selfishness. We didn't get our way. We didn't like what someone said about us. We feel like our rights are being tampered with or stepped on. We're self-defensive. We're self-serving. The injustices we are most often angry about are injustices not against God, against us. 
against ourselves. And so we become angry because how could someone treat me that way? How could someone impose on my time? How could someone impose on my desires? How could someone impose on me and my life and my plans and my whatever? Most of the time, that's what our anger is anger from. That's not righteous anger. It's self-centered and it's sinful anger. Let me me ask you, um, when is the first example picture of anger in the Bible? Anybody remember? Cain. Yeah, go ahead and turn there. Genesis chapter 4. Let's let's look at the circumstances here. Genesis 4, starting with verse 1, we'll just read a little bit here. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again she bore his brother, Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep and Cain a worker of the ground. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the first fruit or of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offspring, but for Cain and his off- offering he had... Man, let's try this one more time. I think I said offspring, didn't I? And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain spoke to Abel, his brother, and when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And the Lord said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. So what happens here? Cain is born. Abel is born. Abel brings an offering to the Lord. Abel tends to the sheep. He he brings a sacrifice before the Lord. Cain, he works the ground. He brings some of the fruit, some of the vegetation that is grown and brings it to the Lord as an offering. It says that God is pleased with Abel's offering and he's not pleased with Cain's offering. Now there is an opportunity here for Cain. There can be different responses to what God says. There could be repentance I mean, the only example that we have of an offering before this point is Adam and Eve, right? And, and, and the picture that we have is where God kills the animal, and, and that's an offering. Right? It's a sacrifice that was made to cover Adam and Eve's sin, their nakedness. And so that's the only picture, and it doesn't tell us exactly here, was it the, the heart behind Cain's offering, or was it the fact that God had instituted that this would be the offering, and he brought fruit, vegetation instead. Whatever it is, he has an opportunity to repent. And he doesn't do it. He becomes bitter 
because of what God has said to him and the fact that God didn't accept his offering. And so what does he do with this anger? The anger is really towards who? God, right? He's jealous of Abel, but his anger really is towards God because God's the one that didn't accept his offering. And in fact, God even says to him, be careful. If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, then sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you. You must rule over it. Even God warning him at that point, repent. What does he do? He takes his anger out on someone else. And so he calls Abel into the field and he kills his brother. It's, it's all selfishness. He didn't get his way. Things didn't turn out the way he wanted. Maybe he, maybe, maybe, maybe at the beginning of this whole thing, there may have been good intentions. Probably not. But regardless, he let it turn to anger and the anger turned, which was sin in the first place because of what the anger came from. It's not a righteous anger. He's not righteously anger because there's been sin committed. He's angry because God didn't accept his offering. And that eventually turns to murder, where he murders his brother. We have to be careful with our anger and how we respond to our injustices. What we consider injustices against ourselves. Paul goes on from there. He says, don't let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil Don't let the sun go down on you. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. That word opportunity is is place. Don't give a place for the devil. Paul knows that any anger, even righteous anger can turn because we're humans and we're tempted by our flesh. And if there's anger in us, even towards righteous thing, our flesh can sway us and turn us and, and, and tip us. This, even what's begun with righteous anger, we begin to hear from our flesh. And we would become bitter. We want to become sinfully angry over what was originally righteous anger when that happens. So Paul says, don't, don't even let the sun go down. Deal with it. Deal with it. Don't give a place for the devil. We, we give an opportunity or a place for the devil when we don't deal with anger in a biblical way. Or when we allow unrighteous anger to creep in or explode out of us. I'm 37 and a half years old. Um, just to let you know. Well, I want to be specific, okay? Um, I, I have seen a lot of anger in 37 and a half years. I grew up in a house where my father had a temper and, and saw a lot of anger, okay? Um, I have seen anger in myself. Here's the thing. I think in 37 and a half years, I can count on one hand, maybe, the number of times I've seen righteous anger. We are sinful, corrupt people in need of the gospel. And so Paul says, don't let the sun go down on your anger. Even righteous anger, don't let the sun go down on your anger. You need the gospel and your anger will turn to sin even if it doesn't begin that way. 
Don't let the sun go down on it. Don't give a place for the devil. We know from Peter saying the devil's like a roaring lion. He's just going back and forth, prowling around, looking for someone to devour. Why would we just give him a place? Come, devour me. Paul says, don't do that. Don't let the sun go down. Deal with it. Let me also say that there's, there's more than one kind of sinful anger. There's more than one kind of sinful anger. This is me preaching to me here, okay? Because my tendency through my life has, has been to tell people I don't struggle with anger. I don't really have an anger problem. I don't struggle with that. Because my anger is not explosive. There, there's explosive anger. There's people who get angry and they explode and they'll either explode on the person that made them angry or you may be the person who your job stinks and all day long, yeah, boss, it's awesome. It's a great day. Things are good. I can't wait to get home and kick the dog. (laughs) Right? And the sad thing is, sometimes it's not the dog that gets it. It's the kids that get it. Or your spouse that gets it. There's that kind of explosive anger where we don't direct our anger to the one that has sinned against us. We save it for someone else. And we take it out on someone else. But there's, there's other kind of anger. There's anger that's internalized. Anger that that where you, you, you feel that anger and you clam up and you may even deny that I don't have anger. All the while, you're just burning inside. It's sin. And it's just as sinful as those who struggle with explosive anger. It's sin. It's selfishness. It's idolatry. You want what you want more than you want what God wants. It's idolatry. You're worshiping you. And so how, how do we assess our anger? How should we assess? Well, here's three things. There's a book called Uprooting Anger, which I recommend to you. It's by Robert D. Jones. Um, and he has these three things here. I thought were, were good. I'm going to copy them and give them to you here. Um, but this is what righteous anger looks like. Okay, Number one, it reacts to actual sin as defined in the Bible. Righteous anger reacts to actual sin as defined in the Bible. Righteous anger focuses on God and his concerns, not me and my concerns. Righteous anger focuses on God and his concerns, not me and my concerns. And number three, it coexists with other godly qualities. And it expresses itself in godly ways. Righteous anger coexists with other godly qualities and expresses itself in godly ways. So righteous anger can actually mix with the fruit of the Spirit. I'm filled with the Spirit. And therefore I'm loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle self-controlled righteous anger doesn't negate the holy spirit's work in our life james 1 verse 19 says 
Know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. You hear that? The anger of man does not produce the righteousness that God requires. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Receive with meekness, receive with gentleness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Why? Because we're called to be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. Because the anger of man, your anger, my anger, 99.99% of the time does not lead to the righteousness that God calls us to live in. Our anger is sinful anger. In his uh, book, This Momentary Marriage, in, in uh, chapter 4, Forgiving and Forbearing, John Piper um, says this, Be the kind of person who has a long fuse, a very long fuse. And that's what James is saying here. Be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Yes, Jesus got angry. But he's perfect. And he tells us in, in, in Matthew 5 to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us, to not resist the one who is evil. And so by the power of the Spirit, put off, put off anger that is sinful and put on that which is righteous. But if you're debating in your heart, if you're debating in your head, put off anger. Okay, be slow to be angry. He goes on in in verse 28, he says, Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let the thief no longer steal. This is a a wonderful picture of biblical repentance here, um, where rather than, than stealing... What does repentance look like for someone who's stealing? Giving, right? See, that was Zacchaeus, right? Where, where, where Jesus sees Zacchaeus and he has stolen and stolen and stolen and stolen. He's taken from all these people and his response upon meeting Christ and seeing the glory of Christ is, Lord, I am going to pay back everyone I've stolen from four times the amount I was, I was looking on John Piper's blog like a, two weeks ago, I think. And if you follow me on Twitter, you'll see I put it on there. Maybe you read it. Um, but he, just, he wrote up a story, a what if. Like what would it be like to, to be in that, that story of Zacchaeus going to the first home of the person that he had stolen from. And this guy that probably hates him, right? And doesn't trust him and knows how much he's taken from him. And that's this picture of repentance and the work of God in his life. A thief must not steal, he says. Put off stealing. That's attached to the old self. Put it off and it's in its place. Put on honest work. Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 3, 10 through 12, he addresses those who are idle and he says, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. 
For we hear that some among you walk in idleness, not busy at work, but busy bodies. Now such persons we command and encourage in the Lord Jesus Christ to do their work quietly and to earn their own living. Likewise, here Paul is commanding those who have been stealing, those who are taking for themselves to work. It's it's like him saying, put off stealing and get a job. I mean, if you're capable, then do something. Don't steal for it. Do something. and, and, And the way he puts it is do honest work. Why? So that, and this is, guys, this is the, I think, the most important part of, of this verse. So that you may have something to share with anyone in need. So that you can have something to share. The reason we ought to work hard, the reason Paul says we ought to labor, working with our hands, doing honest work, is so that we can, as followers of Jesus Christ, as those where Ephesians 1 says we've been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, so that we, those who are followers of Christ and have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, can share with those who have need. That's a picture of the gospel. When we are in a place where we are sharing with those in need, that's a picture of the gospel. That's what we were. We were in need. We were in a place where we could do nothing. We had nothing. And God, in His grace and mercy, paid the ultimate price. He did the work and He shared. He gave to us so that we could be saved. And so as we work and are able to share with anyone in need, that's just an open opportunity to say, this is what God did for me. This is what Jesus did for me. He did everything and gave it to me. Shauna and I have been uh, following Francis and Lisa Chan's blog. Um, and they're in India, possibly now China um, at this point. But uh, the blog goes through when they're in India. And uh, in one of the blogs, Lisa is, is writing and she they're, they're um, visiting Christians and the church uh, there in India. And this, you know, if you know anything about India, you know it's just poor. Um, and they've had opportunity to go to these house churches and just see these poor people who love the Lord. And Lisa's writing in one of hers, and they're in this home, and, and, and it's convicting. Um, but she said what they do, the Christians in India, is they eat rice. That's what they have. That's what they eat. And so every meal, every meal, they will reach in and scoop out a handful of rice, which they will prepare for their family. And at the same time, every meal, they reach in and they get another handful that they put in a separate bag. Every meal. One for them, one that goes in the bag. And at the end of the month, that bag goes to those who are in need, those who are poor. That's convicting. Here are Christians who, from our appearance, we would say they have nothing. In every meal, they 
they want to set aside so that they can share with those who have less than they have. Why? Because Jesus changed their life. And they, they, want, to, they want to give, they want to share with those who are in need. And so if we think, if we ever think, I don't have enough, I'm not at a place yet where I can give, I want to get there, I want to get to that place where I can give. Think of those believers in India. They're rich in Christ. They are rich in love as they just sacrificially give from their lack so that they can be a blessing to those who have need. Maybe, um, maybe you hear this passage and you're like, well, what does this have to do with me? I don't steal. I'm not a thief, and he's talking to thieves here, so what does that have to do with me? Well, there's, there's more than one way to steal. There's more than one way to be a thief. In fact, if you look at Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 through 10, where, where God says to the priest, he says, why are you robbing me? Why are you stealing from me? And he carries on the conversation himself. And he says, you, uh, you may ask, how are we robbing God? In your tithes and offerings. You take that and combine it with Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 and 21, where Jesus says, your treasure, you ought to be laying up treasures in heaven. And the picture that, that we get from Jesus is, all of our money is not our money. It's all his. All of our stuff, all of our money is God's, and we've just been called to be stewards of it. And we have that biblical mentality of this is what God has entrusted me with, no matter how much it is, that he's entrusted me with this, that when I'm not using it for his glory, I'm robbing him. I'm a thief. I'm stealing. John Piper, in his sermon, Don't Waste Your Life, challenges us to use our money in a way that shows the world that Christ, not our things, not the money, not anything else, Christ is our treasure. That displays God. That shows that we're not robbing him. We're not taking what's his and just using it the best we can for ourselves. Now, I, I, I tell you that guilty, where I find all of the time, all of the time, where I'm viewing my possessions, I'm viewing my money, I'm viewing as my money. It's not. It's God's. And when we, when we don't use it to glorify and exalt and, 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 and show that our affections are Him, that He is our treasure, not the money, then we're robbing Him. Paul says, put off stealing. Put off sinful anger by the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel. Remember that. Remember that. The beginning of chapter 4 starts with, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. That, therefore, points back to chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3. You, you can get a job in a place where you know, if I lie, I'm going to get fired. Or if I steal, I'm going to get fired. Or if I blow up, if I, if I lose my temper, I'm going to get fired. And you can manipulate your actions in certain places to look righteous. But it takes the gospel to change us on the inside. And that's what Paul's calling us to be changed in. Let me pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace. God, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your spirit 
Thank you that you say in chapter 1, you pray, or Paul prays for us, Lord, that we would know, that we would know that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is at work on our behalf. Help every one of us now to believe the truth of the gospel. Help us to be those people who gaze on Christ. Lord, just seven days ago, as Tony preached, and we just beheld you and worshipped you throughout that whole sermon last week. God, that is what we need. Help us to be people who just set our hearts, our affections, our minds, our ears, our thoughts, our words, our everything on you, Jesus. Help us to believe the truth of the gospel and help us to be people who, in humility, with contrite spirits, tremble at your word and repent, who turn from our sins, who show evidence of the Spirit working within us to change us. Help us. But we love you. God, there's no doubt that there are people who are here who are entangled in the sin of anger. People who have been caught and feel like there's no way out. Jesus, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for truth. That's a lie to think that there's no way. It's a lie from from Satan. God, thank you for the gospel. There are people here who are entangled in a life of, of robbing, of stealing from other people and ultimately from you, Lord. People who are clinging to their things so tightly, unwilling, unwilling to share with those who are in need. God, help us. Help us. Lord, we just, we just want to respond to what you've done for us. Therefore, let us walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Therefore, because of all that you've given us in Christ, Lord, let us walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we've been called. Father, we love you and we praise you. We want to worship you, not just with singing once a week, not just with a time where we come together. And we we genuinely love each other, Lord. Thank you for that. But God, help us to worship you and love you as we respond to the gospel and to you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.